Okay, so I'd like to welcome to the show today the the one and only Christopher Sharp, founder of Liberation Times and author of many hugely informative articles in in recent times. How are you doing today, Chris? Hi, mate. Uh, Really, really happy to be back on and um, it's such a privilege and honour to be on with yourself and um, your other guest who you'll be introducing very soon. Exactly. So let's get straight into that. So also joining me today is the the one and only Dave Smethurst, regular contributor to my show these days and all round diamond geezer. How are you doing, Dave? How are you doing, Frank? Curmudgeonly geezer might be more appropriate, <laughs> actually, I think. <laughs> I feel well, I'm getting th- more curmudgeonly recently <laughs> with the developments, but anyway. Well, I, th- I think it's it's uh, it's it's only natural, really, given what's been going on. So yeah, there has been a lot going on over this last couple of weeks, and some pretty significant developments, I think. And we, we thought we'll go through it in sort of roughly chronological order that these things have actually happened. Sort of summarize it that way and discuss each one in turn and get a bit of thoughts from you guys and whatnot. So I thought we'll go through. Uh, first of all, some of the proposed language in these various bills that are going through the pretty complicated uh, system in, in America at the moment. And then number two, the founding of this Arrow office and the various announcements around that. And then number three, we'll kind of move on to the uh, the most recent of, of these developments, which is the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence sort of roasting the DOD basically in, in the explanatory report that they've put out. But I believe you have a few little uh, general thoughts you want to add uh, before we crack into those details, Dave. So feel free yeah. to fire away. Yeah, Frank, it was just, I was thinking about knowing we were coming on today and I knew Chris was coming on. So it'd be great to hear Chris is taking a bit, but I've just been thinking about what's been happening. I thought it was a few useful observations. The first, if you break down Gillibrand IAA, there's essentially two elements. There's an element that looks at the activity and uh, understanding what's happening with UAP in all its forms. And there's another element that looks at the historical record of what's gone on. So if you have those two themes in your mind, it's quite easy to understand, well, easy uh, to understand what the, what, what the focus of all this is. So activity and discovering what, what they're doing, what's going on in a very big category. And then there's the history of what's gone on. So one's an information thing and one's a scrutiny thing, essentially. That's a really good way to think about it. The other thing I've been thinking, why did OUSD, S&I, get, get the gig? And that's because they're an intelligence element of the Defend DOD. They're the intelligence and strategy bit. And so if you think about the three things that are happening, you've got defense, which is engaging the craft and reacting and responding to the craft. You've got defense and intelligence together, monitoring it. That's all the intelligence and defense radar and all that stuff. Then you've got the intelligence bit, which is the analyst bit, analyze bit. You've got this sort of cross-meshing of these three things. And I think because it's primarily a defense issue in that it's seen as a threat, it's gone to the defense department, but it's gone to the intelligence bit of the defense department. So that's why they keep getting the gig, which, again, I think, I mean, I see what Chris thinks about that because, uh, you know, he's got, he's got a good view on the mechanics of it as well. So I think the blockers are in, unfortunately, in there, but they've got the gig because you might ask, why did he keep getting this gig? 
and it's for structural reasons. The other thing I thought is just it's worth again understanding this, and I don't want to go on too long, but I do think it's worth revisiting. You can only understand this, as I've said a few times, in terms of a history of the conflict or, or, or the, its conflict that's generated. So I think, going right back, something wasn't right in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, and the, the military people, the armed services people, weren't, there was some sort of sea change in their thinking and their attitudes to the core program, whatever that was, and how it was being handled. They weren't happy with the stewardship of the issue, and maybe they lost a bit of confidence in it. And I think at some point in the late noughties, or there was a plan to wrest control from the core group. Now, why would that be? Well, it might be a threat that isn't being addressed, or they weren't happy with it's addressed. It might be accommodation with whatever, or some sort of acceptance that they weren't happy with, or it could be uh, what weapons development. So they needed wider congressional oversight to break it, and, and more wider thinking on the issues. Now, we saw Loose Five Pillars, which was essentially, if you break it down, raise, aware, raise awareness and exert pressure, if you break them down. You've done that, and so you can see the whole thing from the New York Times article right through the TTSA to the UAP office to the report to the confidential briefings to Gillibrand to AOMSG. Now, you can see that, that, that progression. And I suppose you got to the OUS, as I said, they blocked it, they thwarted it. There's been the progress. But after the hearings and the lack of progress, we're now at the IAA. There's very little wiggle room and there's a big sea change. But I think it's important to A, understand the context of why they're doing it as they are structurally, and B, to understand it in terms of that history of conflict that's driving it. And I think of the obvious answer now, looking back on it, was the only way to break the logjam and to move the oversight or get in the game, as it were, was to bring Congress in. And so you sort of see the plan unfold, and we can see, and they really have had enough now. And, what, and I think it's a massive step change we're seeing now, massive. And like Chris's last article sort of said that, really. So I've just thought that was usual if people are listening for those two things. I mean, even if people don't agree, at least it's something to think about. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's a, a good sort of grounding for what we're about to discuss as well. Is there any, any thoughts on that that you'd, uh, that you'd like to add there, Chris? <clears throat> any, any thoughts in particular about uh, what you were saying, Dave, which was why the, the OUSD INS is the one that basically is getting the gig here in terms of the, the location of this office? So uh, I think concerningly, it was revealed by the debrief, um, I think it was in April, that Gary Reed, um, who was described by Louis Zondo as one of the biggest obstacles to the DOD's investigations and public transparency of UAP, um, he was actually on the executive council <laughs> of um, AOIMSG, which was really, really concerning because from my understanding, um, uh, I think the DOD was aware of the IG complaint that Lou had put in, which actually named him, um, Gary Reed, as being part of that. And it just seemed really inappropriate to me um, that he was placed there. Um, and I don't, I don't think that was in good faith at all. Um, and there's a real, real history of obstruction coming from that office. But um, insiders are basically telling me that, they're concerned about its potential role in heading up the new GPO um, from the Pentagon due to it being a staff 
oversight organization not equipped to manage operations and analysis um and let's remember as well for understanding as well orsap was um dia and i think that sources you know from my understanding sources are telling me that they believe that um dia would be a more effective option for heading up the um the new jpo the joint program office um as it's well versed in um, producing centrally managed defense analysis and production using distributed analytical process known as the defense um, intelligence analysis program so actually there's all this minutiae and complexity um drilled down from bureaucracy that is really really important to understand here in terms of <laughs> the structures and how these offices work and actually what's is best place to um, deal with the mission at hand and um, I mean don't forget that this is a live operation in terms of investigating events say happen for instance you know so it might be that there's an ongoing event in terms of navy ships being harassed and you may have someone from Arrow going on to one of those navy ships to actually witness the events as they're ongoing um, so you may very well have events like that happening and from my understanding of what sources are telling me, um, DIA um, is best place to um, to do that. Yeah, it, it's interesting uh, how it's all going to unfold as the as the months go on. Now, isn't it? We could be looking potentially at a, a change in, in location and another change in name as well, eh, from the looks of things. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and see how it all goes. But let's get stuck into these uh, these actual specific details eh, and, and go back a step to uh, when some of this language was initially announced. So. We saw the proposed language for the NDAA uh, with some interesting wording around immunity and amnesty type things and also the proposed language from the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, for the Intelligence Authorization Act FY23 and that was in the form of a bill called S4503. I did a pretty in-depth um, two and a half hour breakdown on all of that so obviously people can check out that if they want to get into the tiny details. Um, but safe to say it was a, a very kind of comprehensive, you know, version of, of this language, like 31 pages. And, and that particular bill was followed up by the House Intelligence Committee's HR 8367 bill, which borrowed about four pages almost word for word from that S4503. Uh, so various bills all running on their own kind of parallel paths here with with similar language. Obviously, just providing a bit of a summary here for the for the listeners so that they get a, a background. So, in uh, all of these bills, essentially suggestions for how to properly gather information and data on UAP from all areas, um, and including attempts to make it easier for people with NDAs and security clearances, etc., to share what they know with this office without fear of prosecution and this was mentioned in the recent hearing and it seems like this these bills going through are basically an effort to formalize those suggestions so if you're setting up a central uap office you're going to want to make sure that you can have all the relevant info that you need reported to you without things like ndas and other legal barriers preventing that from happening so i'd uh, be interested to see what you guys think whether or not this central office will whatever it ends up being called will actually get access to everything they need to get to the bottom of this mystery and 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 are we likely to see that actually coming through in any of the unclassified reports so what are your thoughts on on that chris so 
I think they the, the plan is that you know they hope that it's going to be a successful way of actually wrangling control back um, from these obstructors, and I think publicly now Moultrie is getting involved. So looking at it from a macro perspective, Moultrie is getting involved and taking responsibility publicly. Um, and they've also got a Twitter channel as well. And it wouldn't make sense if you're going to have a, your own Twitter account without actually posting anything. So let's hope that more stuff's going to be posted on there. And I think now the pressure is really being ratcheted up by um, those in Congress, particularly Gillibrand, who actually met with Moultrie and the new director of um, of Arrow as well. So I think certainly that's what they're going to be hoping, that they're going to get some more transparency and um, some more <laughs> some more cooperation from um, fr- from these other kind of agencies and branches of the US military and other agencies. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping that's going to happen. But I think the big one is the actual new language around immunity. And I think um, that's really a shortcut bypasses everything, basically, once you have um, uh, once you have the cap lifted, you know, um, in terms of um, the, the cap lifted in terms of um, kind of like taking action and getting compensation from people who are pressing your clearances and stuff like that, which um, which is stated in the um, Intelligence Authorization Act. Once you have that kind of stuff, um, I, I think now there's a really real possibility that these people who are under NDAs who have clearances and stuff like that are going to start talking to their lawyers um, before taking the action of you know, <laughs> speaking to Arrow and subsequently Congress as well. So I think that's gonna that, that might lead you directly to the um, illegal and secretive programs that are happening um, behind the scenes, and I think that's where the real information is kept. I think um, in terms of what's happening day to day and stuff like that, I think very few people really know what's going on. Even some admirals, for instance, may not know what's going on and what's kind of like harassing their fleets. I think the real knowledge may be in these um, these kind of like compartmentalized programs or special access programs. Um, so I think that's where the real good is at, and that's what Congress is going after at the moment. Um, yeah, and in terms of like reports coming up, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure if we can, if we will get October's report anymore. I'm not so sure. I think such is the limited resource um, of. Arrow up till now, anyway. Um, and it's been such a mess. I don't. I don't know. I, I really don't know if we're going to get that that report by October, or at least a complete report. Remember, it took the UAPTF six months to get the report that was made public before, um, and they had a lot of like people who were involved with Lou's previous effort as well. Um, I don't know if Arrow did have those people involved. I'm, I'm not sure. So, uh, yeah. My source told me that, you know, <laughs> which which was said, stated publicly, and, and I'll read you a bit of the quotation. Sorry, I'm taking up a lot of time here. Um, Go ahead. So, you know, the source is basically telling me that, um, you know, it shook the U- UAPTF um, six months and it came up with like a pretty good report. But in terms of the, the new office, um, he was basically saying that... Um, 
yeah, um, member. Um, so he was say, stating to me that Congress is requiring the office to be staffed by prior UAPTF members as these DOD and ICE individuals. So that, that basically says that little comment here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm breaking this down. That suggests to me that maybe UAPTF members were not involved in AIMSG slash Arrow. Um, so he goes on to say that these DOD and IC individuals were responsible for offering a tangible report, something Arrow has failed to do. That doesn't really give me much hope that we've, well, Congress has received anything so far of any substance from Arrow or that we could receive anything exciting for October. Although I'll caveat with this before giving way that Maybe, maybe, um, as a vindication, Congress, before midterms, and those senators and representatives supporting the initiative will want vindication before the midterms. So maybe we could get a video or something released, some new information, some new movement, so it will kind of like help protect them in upcoming races. Mm. Very interesting. What do you reckon, Dave? Well, I think Chris has covered a lot of it. The big issue, isn't it, is if we're going to get access to the SAPs. That's the big issue. And I heard Katie Howland on Vinny's show, which was, she was absolutely brilliant. She, what an addition she is to the, to the firmament, given her knowledge of how it all works in the background. Anyway, she said she read the initial stuff and it was just NDAs. She thought, well, ev well everybody's got NDAs, but anybody who's on a SAP, it's going to be, you know, they're going to have more than that. So she was a bit worried. Then she saw, is it uh, Gallagher's amendment where he actually said you can report stuff on a SAP if it's not been properly reported to the Congress? So, therefore, uh, that amendment and those changes meant that a lot of people can therefore report quite a broad range of things to this secure element in the new setup, whatever it is, uh, UAP uh, JPO now. There you go. There we got that, that. That's it. I've got that. So, so that, that might be pretty significant in terms of uh, getting out. The thing to remember, though, is it doesn't offer amnesty. It just offers the ability to report. And presumably the amnesty will come based on the, the work put in on that. But I think a lot of this thing is about rest, getting the information, getting more progress as well. And that's what they want to do. They've got this core group, which we'll probably come back to. They want to make a lot of progress there. And there's all, they've also put in the director of intelligence. There's a deputy director for the new setup that will actually uh, oversee the main director. And I will probably come back to that. But obviously, the I thought when I initially looked at the act that the intelligence community wanted to get a grip of it because they didn't think it was being progressive. And, that, and as Chris was saying, they think they're better placed. So in terms of amnesty, I think we, we've, we've gone quite down the road. There's a good route set up, and that cap's important because if any – i.e. the cap on how much people can be sued for, if any act, it's now unlimited. It was stopped at 300,000. Now, it's now unlimited. I read that in Chris's article. That's how I know that, Chris. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so good good reporting there. So that means if anybody does set reprisals, there's very significant financial implications for people who, who you, know, uh, you know, persecute whistleblowers or whatever. So that's pretty serious. Another thing in the IAA Act, the original one, which people haven't talked about a lot. I'm sure you did, Frank, in your marathon session in the boiling sauna. But anyway, uh, is is that they want a record of all the NDAAs that are, that are ongoing, that have been issued. So that should help them actually walk through the, the sort of uh, the body or the structure of the secrecy framework. And I don't think that's been picked up in a lot, but that'll also help. You've got people reporting. 
Plus, then you've got a database of what NDAs are out there. You should get a picture of the sort of way the secrecy works. So I think it'll, it's like a halfway step, the amnesty measures. It's pretty good. People can report. It's not quite clear on the SAPs. But if you've done anything that's illegal, you'd still have to consult with your lawyer. And I think there'll be further discussions about amnesty down the road. And, uh, and there was a lot of interesting issues about who can grant amnesty. But anyway, so mm. I think it's good, but it's uh, not the whole nine yards. But Gallagher's amendment was really important, according to Katie Howland. Uh, it give a bit more beef to it, so that's my thoughts. But I think Chris covered it anyway, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting how it's all going to play out. Like, is the the provisions for people to come forward without fear of prosecution? Is it rock solid enough for people to confidently feel like they can come forward? Do you know, like you said, Dave, it depends what they may have been implicated in. You know, in the past, like they they, they might be able to come forward with information to the office you know, about a SAP or something, but that doesn't necessarily protect them from things that they may have been involved with historically uh, and whatnot. I I was thinking while you guys were both talking as well, do you think we'll actually see people from these kind of deeply buried SAPs actually coming forward like to this office? Or do you think it'll be more a case of people who have, you know, perhaps stumbled upon these, these, these deeply buried SAPs and, and of like people on the periphery, that are actually coming forward with information about where those apps are located, etc. Or are we, are we, you know, is is it more a case of like people actually directly involved in those deeply buried apps may actually come forward? What do you reckon, Dave? Any any thoughts? Well, I think significantly, uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of people in the intelligence and all these apps in the community who want to say something. There's a significant body of opinion. Clear from what Lou's been saying generally, Chris Mellon, and some quotes from Chris's stuff and other things I've read. But there's a bit of a groundswell that things should change. Uh, we've been getting information with people saying they're happy to testify. They have been testifying. So I think there is a, will, a willingness amongst at least a significant proportion of people involved in this to come forward, you know, and to talk. And to, so I, I think that, that People will come forward, and I don't think they'll have to be drag kicking. Some people will have to be drag kicking and screaming, but a lot of people may well come forward. Now, without jumping ahead too far, Lou's quote uh, in response to the explanatory notes, he, he was quite good. He said, if people know stuff now, they should come forward. And he used the word truth and reconciliation, which implied, if you tell us now, you'll be fine, or if you don't tell us, you'll have to face the consequences. The implication from what Lou said was now's the time to come forward. So you might have people who want to testify and people who are thinking, should I testify or should I come forward? And if they get the extra guarantee of amnesty, then they might do. So I've, my view is there's a, quite a few people who will be willing to come forward and there's enough in the bill for them to at least come forward and give testimony. As to whether we will hear any of that, my view is the intent of Congress is to get as much out as they can but put it in non-secret language, as it were, non, you know, uh, I can't remember the phrase, but, you know, language that they can say, non-classified is the word I was looking for, non-classified language. So I think there is an intent to get out, because, again, it comes back to Chris's point about the uh, midterms coming up. The politicians want some degree of vindication, and I think he's, you're right, dead right, Chris. They, I think they've got to do something. They want something out, uh, certainly in September, uh, at, the, at the latest. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I think that, that could be part of it as well. So, so I think there's a few people who might come forward, Frank, is the answer to that. 
Yeah. And any uh, thoughts to add on that, Chris? Do you think there's enough in these, this proposed language to actually encourage people to come forward? Do you think it is going to be like peripheral people who have been aware of these deeply buried saps, or could it actually be people from those actual saps themselves? What do you reckon? I think the conversations may have already taken place behind the scenes. As one source told me, laws are not written in a vacuum. Behind closed doors, lawmakers have met with current and former government insiders who have provided multi-source and verifiable information that has shaped the language that you're seeing today. So I think that I think something may have already leaked out of, let's say, Pandora's box. I think something is already out there, um, which has led to this. Um, uh, so I think that I, I think what we're going to see is really, really big, and I think it's kind of like shaking people in Congress. Um, and as I've said before, I think people who are actually privy to the information, uh, most notably probably people who are in the Gang of Eight, um, have had access to materials that have changed their life, and they don't look at the world the same way again now. I mean. These are human beings here, you know, who are looking at this stuff. And I think what they've seen is like deeply rattled them. Um, uh, and I mean, it has to come out of the box now. It really has to, because what I'm hearing um, and what you've seen as well, reflected by the explanatory report for the IAA, these things are escalating. Every day they're being seen and the instances are going up. So this is turning to like a really, really serious matter now. And look, um, if they're happening over training ranges, yes, that's one thing. That's serious enough. But let's say they're happening in um, in war zones, for instance. Now, if that's happening, if UAPs are being seen over war zones, and that's going up in terms of, um, I think exponentially was the, the word used in the expansion report. If that's happening, that's a really, really serious matter. And um, it's putting lives at risk. And we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's a threat. So I think... Congress is really, really keen to um, to really, really get a handle on this. Um, and my hope is that maybe in October we could see some more hearings. I'm really, really hoping for that. That'd be great before midterms to keep the, the pressure on. And then hopefully when the NDAA and IAA are passed, maybe next year, once the immunity language is kicking in, that we'll see some more hearings, but this time involving people who may be brave enough to come forward, so let's say, and to talk about the illegal and secretive programs, there we've got a situation, not just in terms of world-changing stuff happening. Lou mentioned yesterday on Twitter that we're in the middle of disclosure now. I believe that is a way of saying, perhaps, that it's time to get prepared. We need to start preparing the public for what's going to come. Um, but also, I mean, we're going to see a new church commission um, the Church Commission actually led to the establishment of the um, Senate Select Intelligence Committee in the first place um, to actually have oversight of intelligence agencies. And, you know, this happened in the 1970s, the Church Commission did, when it, they found out that, you know, intelligence agencies were doing MK Ultra and stuff like that. And I, I think if it does come forward that we've got these, um, these secretive and illegal programs, we're going to see like a Church Commission times 100 be a huge, huge story in many, many ways. Um, so I, I think that's going to happen. And just to add one more thing as well, um, uh, there is a very, very good chance that the um, Intelligence Authorization Act and the National Defense Authorization Act could be merged. 
And there may be a possibility as well that it could pass before the midterms occur in November. So we could potentially see it signed into law by October. And that would be a good way of doing it, especially if um, Biden becomes a lame duck president. So I just add that to the equation as well. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, a waiting game, isn't it, really? A lot of this wording that's going through at the moment, once that eventually does get signed into law, then it will be a knock-on effect for potentially what we're going to see at the end of this year and, and moving forward into uh, in, into next year. But, yeah, another thing that uh, I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on, in, included in uh, both of the S4503 and the HRA 367, was the requirement for the Comptroller General to compile a report detailing essentially everything that is known about the UAP topic, going all the way back to January the 1st, 1947. And I've pulled out a little quote just to... Uh, give the exact wording so quote not later than one year after the date of the enactment of this act the comptroller general of the united states shall commence a review of the records and documents of the intelligence community oral history interviews open source analytic analysis interviews of current and former government officials classified and unclassified national archives including those records of any third party obtained pursuant to section 552 of title 5 United States code commonly known as the freedom of information act or FOIA and such other relevant historical sources as the comptroller general considers appropriate unquote so that's that's pretty big and an interesting choice of date there too and i know you have some thoughts about that date dave so you yeah. want to give us some thoughts on that yeah well uh just just generally speaking, it is massive on the... I'll come to the date in a second, but it is massive, the scope of that thing, and it even includes misinformation, which I'm sure Chris will go into in a bit more detail, But but which is pretty big in itself. All sources, so they're looking at everything, so they really do want a comprehensive knowledge of what's gone on. But the date, funnily enough, what set me off was Chris's article, one of his sources, it's uh, second to the, to the last one, I think, off whatever it was, a couple of... He did it a bit ago, a couple of days ago anyway. And the guy, the, the source quoted, anybody who knows anything about this subject will understand the significance of that date. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Because I had read about the Atomic Energy Commission at the time. And I just thought, oh, I'll just check when the Atomic Energy was, Commission was set up. Because as we know, that is now the DOE, which everybody thinks where, which is running this core program or is part of the one that's running it anyway. Funnily enough, the 1st of January 1947 was when, and I think you reported on this in your last show, Frank, was, was when the actual Atomic Energy Commission was passed to civilian control. Now, if you think about what was going on at the time, you had the Manhattan program in the desert, there was a few crashes, and it's almost certain, knowing what we know now, that if they were splitting the atom with loads of radioactive material, they probably had a lot of UAP activity or buzzing, and they probably did some work on that. And I think it's not uh, silly to assume that one they handed over to this civilian authority, there would already have been some sort of effort, maybe with Oppenheimer and Einstein, whatever, set up already that could look at that. So I think that date is significant because the issue may well be when it came to Roswell, they already had something up and running. So I thought that was, uh, I thought that was extremely significant and it may be a bit of an audit trail to... Uh, you know, I started the audit trail of the whole kit and caboodle, really, 
if we think that Atomic Energy Commission, which turned into DOE, which, which has its own SAPs, has its own security thing, has its own military infrastructure, has the perfect place to hide a massive program and coordinate it all. Many people think, including Chris Mellon, that that's the place to look. Then that may be the genesis of the whole core effort. So I don't want to be, that sounds like I've gone right off on <laughs> speculation there, but I do think that's why it's very significant. And it was only Chris's article, I must be honest, and that quote that made me make that connection. Yeah, definitely, and it's uh, it, it does seem to to make sense. I mean, there is obviously the, the 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 possibility that when when you know the significance of that date could just relate to the fact that Roswell took place in 1947, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and obviously you know going back to the beginning of that year. But it does seem like a bit of a, a coincidence, doesn't it? And and when you actually sort of look at it, that was my initial thought. Oh, maybe it's just referring to Roswell. But actually, when you when you think about that. Like you've just explained, Dave, it does sort of stand to reason that the the specific date is what they're referring to, with the first of January being the exact date that that handover actually happened. What what do you reckon, uh, Chris? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm very very confident that it was um, done on purposely in terms of that date, and it's not forget as well. The Manhattan Project was run out of Los Alamos, um, and I think that um, what is now known as DOE. Um, and all the labs, Patel and things like that, had a huge part to play in history. I mean, you remember Jacques Vallée, Jacques Vallée saying on Joe Rogan that pieces of UFO that flew over Washington, D.C. that were shot at, um, uh, debris was taken to Patel. Um, you also remember as well, um, during the Phenomenon movie, that um, during Blue Book, um, it was made aware to Vallée that at the same time as Blue Book was occurring, a much better funding program with much more resources, but very, very secretive um, program was being run out of Patel at the same time. Um, so I think there's so much going on in terms of the DOE, as it's called now. And um, it's a bag. It's a, it's a goodie bag, um, let's say. And um, yeah, so, so you've, you've got that established on 1st January 1947. And then I think it was around September 1947 was when the National Security Act of 1947 um, took effect. Um, and I, I, I think what you have from 1947 is you have a clear paper trail that the Comptroller General can look at. Because um, look, they're undoubtedly in other crashes like the Italian crash of 1933 which taken to, which was apparently taken to um, right past an Air Force base you have the Aztec crash however 1947 is important because that allows the Comptroller General to follow a clear paper trail leading back to that date so that's probably the significance of that mm. Yeah, like you say, and this is something that we discussed a bit, Dave, as well. There's quite a number of crash retrievals that predate Roswell. So you would think that, you know, if they were going purely off when the the alleged crash retrievals, you know, began, that they may have actually chose a date earlier in time than 1947. But with with um, your your source that mentioned about the significance of that, that date, Chris, did you get any indications as to whether it specifically was referring to the Atomic Energy Commission or anything to do with Roswell? The atomic energy. Um, uh, 
it's my it's my opinion that it is no coincidence in terms of that. Not so much Roswell, although Roswell was obviously significant, but I think more from a bureaucratic context of the establishment of the Atomic um, Energy Commission and all the other agencies that were birthed out of the National Security Act of September 1947 as well. I think pragmatically looking at it, that is the year that you have to look at in terms of finding that paper trail. So I think that's the real significance of it. And obviously coincidentally as well, which is obviously playing into the thinking was that 1947 is also um, the date of, uh, of Roswell as well. Um, so I, I think it's no coincidence. It is no coincidence. I think you can safely take that to the bank. Yeah, so certainly a big year, wasn't it, for uh, of, uh, big events having having a, a big impact, and um, yeah, just just following on from that section I read out earlier as well regarding the Comptroller General's reports. There's a, a really interesting paragraph that you touched on a bit there, Dave, which is uh, quote, and for the period beginning on January the first, nineteen forty seven, and ending on the date on which the Comptroller General completes activities under this subsection, compile and itemize a complete historical record of the intelligence community's involvement with unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena, including successful or unsuccessful efforts to identify and track unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena, and any intelligence community efforts to obfuscate, manipulate public opinion, hide or otherwise provide unclassified or classified misinformation about unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena, it's a bit of a mouthful that, or related activities, unquote. So if I was running an office to look into UAP and figure out what was going on, one of the first things I would I would want to do is try and unmuddy the waters. And it seems like a, a report like this from the, the Comptroller General is definitely going to help with that, especially this, this point about figuring out what's misinformation that's been put out deliberately and what's not. So do you think that's a bit of, uh, of, of what we're seeing here, what, an attempt to kind of unmuddy the water and, and be able to get to the bottom of this better? What do you think, Chris? I, I think that once all this information comes out, there's going to be a, a major trust deficit um, in the US government and maybe governments throughout the world as well. So I think it's up to the elected branch of government to actually distance itself from this and look it's not just distancing itself for PR reasons but it's actually saying look we don't know what's happened this has been hidden for us as well it's a constitutional crisis you can't have a functioning democracy without oversight um, so I, I think they really want to know um, what's been happening and you know this is going to lead to a trust deficit in government if they've been lied if the people have been lied to for so long so I think you want to work out exactly what's been said um, who said it why they've said it and then you'll want yourself something like a church commission to actually investigate this all as a whole. Um, so I think that's this is going to be something which is going to help mitigate the impact, let's say, um, both politically and um, socially in terms of what may come from this. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think you've got the twin tracks again of scrutiny and action, haven't you? And you can see that intertwining. You've got the DOE on that core group. There's no accident that there on there. Because in the Gillibrand Amendment, they were a sort of arm's length agency who would be talked to. They're right on that core group now, and they've got separate queue clearance. The SAPs aren't agreed by the normal defence intelligence uh, thing. They're done separately. So clearly they must have a lot of secrets to hide. 
the other thing, of course, in that report is all the heads of the agencies have got to individually report to a load of different committees, uh, the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committees, both the House and Senate, or both the Congress and Senate, about what they're up to and how they've helped. And then there's a big report coming from uh, UAP, uh, JPO, about uh, if they've had any problems. So, so you, you've got you've got that going off as well. Now, now the interesting issue is, uh, and, and I think we'll probably get some uh, historical guidance from the Church Commission. How did they play that then? Because a lot of these intelligence people that seem to want to get control from the OUS, uh, OUSD, uh, how implicated are they in all this? And they will probably take the line. I suspect they did this in the Church Commission. It was all many years ago. We've changed now, and we'll sort it out. You can trust us, but but there is an issue about uh, about that. And again, these factions are decided. There may be a faction in the IC community and military who want to bring this out, and a faction who have been implicated in it and don't. So we might see this complex interplay of that, and then how do they play it all? So you, but Congress have battened them down because they want an historical count and they want regular updates and people on core committees. So in a way, it's pretty hard. And as you observed, Frank, and I think you said it in, in a different way when I because there's not a lot of wriggle room now. They've been messed about. They've got a lot of rubbish from the hearings. They've got absolutely no progress from AIOMSG, which is absolutely dreadful and appalling for anybody to see. And they've had enough. And as Lou said, pardon me for swearing, the Congress is pissed off, if you remember. That was his exact words on the uh, the interview he did with Ross and Bryce, Ross and Bryce on the... Well, I can't remember what it's Trail of the Sources, whatever it's called anyway. Need to know. Uh, need to know, that's right. Sorry, I was getting a finger. But anyway, the, the point is Congress have now thought, right, we're going to nail you down, and you've got this twin tracks of scrutiny and action. And they're probably going to have to fess up. At some point, I think they're going to have to fess up and say, it wasn't me, Gov, it was him or her. And that's that's where I think this is going. But I might be wrong. I want to add. Can I can I add to that quickly? Um, don't forget that it was AOIMSG's responsibility to kind of like synchronize all these different agencies and stuff working together. And I think reading between the lines, looking at the bills, the fact that the IA mentions that we'll have this core group, you have to establish this core group. You know, the CIA, NSA, and, and things like that, DOE. That's them putting their foot down, saying you have to do this. Get your heads together now because you failed to do that in the previous um, few months since we established you. So I think that's them really taking control of matters there. Yeah, and they are really, really pissed off as well. Really, really pissed off. Hey, Chris, why do you think the Navy's not on that group, on the car group? I, I think what they're aiming to do is they really want to put pressure on the US Air Force. That's where the pressure needs to be leveraged. Um, but look, I, I'm not sure. I think, you know, you, you might see an updated version of that perhaps with the U.S. Navy added to it as well. Yeah. But I think that what they're really trying to do is that the, the, the main goal here is to put pressure on the U.S. Air Force. That That's what they're trying to do. And also, I'd also identify the National Reconnaissance Office as well. National Reconnaissance yeah. Office is, is really, really um, key uh, to that. Because if you think of those three things I identified earlier, which is defence, monitoring, and then analysis, they're all on that core group, those three functions. And I think the Navy will say, well, we're going through DIA or whatever it is. There's a few different routes that they could be represented on that core group. And so they can be on it. But yet, as you say, Chris, the Air Force is, the, is should we say, the leading representative of the armed services, I suppose. Absolutely. So that's a, that's yeah. a really good observation, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, so let's talk a bit about the uh, the kind of the the weird bumpy road that this office has has taken because essentially the carrying on from the UAP task force was supposed to be the AOIMSG, which like many suspected was a bit of a preemptive strike from the the DOD to create their own office, you know, before the Gillibrand Amendment went through, therefore sort of allowing them to to keep hold of the reins really and continue sort of controlling the narrative. Turned out over time that they were dragging their feet, taking a lot of time to do not a lot and there were questions raised about whether the AOIMSG is even capable of fulfilling the requirements of the, the Gillibrand Amendment and um, then obviously the DOD have now announced this, this renaming and, and rebranding to Arrow, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, and expanded its scope a little bit. Uh, and then now there's talk about renaming it again to the, uh, what is it, the UAP uh, JPO. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think is actually going on here then? Are they, are they just dragging the feet, doing the absolute bare minimum to kind of string it out for as long as possible? What do you reckon, Dave? Oh well, you know what? I, well, you know what I think. Well, I'm sure the listeners don't, but you do. I just think it's absolutely a bloody. They've been dragging it on for ages. They've had no intention whatsoever to do it. Uh, they only set it up, in my view, to thwart the Gillibrand Amendment coming up and what was going to be set up in the back of that. Then they've gone along, and we could see that in the hearings because they thought, "Oh, I know. We'll rock up, give them the same old dog and pony show as usual," and they'll go, "Oh, you're quite right," you know. Yes, Mr. Expert, we'll agree with that and then go back in a box. And they totally got it wrong. So I think they've definitely, they don't know what to do, really. Uh, there's, there's obviously still people in that department, and generally you don't want this to come out. And they've just hoped, you've just been playing for time. And clearly that's not, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's worked. I also think that's why, and we'll get into it in a bit, the, the way the new office is, that's why it's a joint, joint programme office, why we've got this core group, why we've got a deputy director who's going to oversee the main director from intelligence, why we've got all this regular reporting. They can't get away. They've had the chance, and now that nobody believes them. And again, I personally believe Arrow uh, was actually the same again. I think they were trying it again, or we'll set Arrow up to thwart the new IA, IAA stuff. How they've got the barefaced cheek to try the same thing twice, I do not know. Uh, uh, well, I do know because I think this, I don't think they've thought it through. But I think it's very fast coming to the point where it's abandoned ship, and who's going to who's going to be allowed in the lifeboat for them? And uh, they haven't quite realised that yet. But that's I don't think there's many much of a way out unless they absolutely stick the visa up to the Congress for the American audience. That's making a rude gesture, and uh, and you know basically. Say we're not having it, and that's not going to fly, is it? Because because they've lost that opportunity by not looking like they were being more cooperative earlier on. That would have been the smart play, you know. And then just generally doing the old English civil service thing of looking like you're doing something, but you actually nothing happens for five years, but you look very busy. Well, they didn't do that, and to not appoint people, I just think the management has been it's been woeful. The management of it as well. I mean, it's supposed to be professional people. And it's just like a bloody a lot of amateurs who think they can get out. Anyway, so I'm going on a little. I'm getting a bit. I'm getting my blood pressure's rising now. <laughs> but but, but I, I think there's been no attempt, and it's been a very simplistic sort of simple. Ta- and I think they thought the same old tactical will work, and they've underestimated massively. A the planning that Lou and Chris have done, and the other people behind the scenes, because they're not just set off on this on a whim. 
we can see there's a load of steps down the road that they've laid out. And, you know, and they've also underestimated that how once they've seen those pictures, then really people want answers. They're all good conscious. And what Katie Howland says, was well, one thing politicians don't like is having their scrutiny function taken away from them and, and being abused and being, you know, treated as nothing. And that's the real mistake. They've, they've fundamentally threatened the congressional role and the constitutional role of those politicians. And that's uh, so for me, they really have made a mistake, made a bad error of judgments. What do you reckon, Chris? I think, as suggested by the explanatory report language, there is some real, uh, there's a lot of concern here um, because these incident, these instances where UAP are being reported and seen, it's escalating, you know, to use the word exponentially um, here. And it's getting really, really serious now. Uh, and I think that it's just bewildering to Congress that despite this serious situation where there's these things we don't have a clue what they are, um, are increasing at such a rate that, you know, here's this office that's staffed in single digits up to probably very, very recently, doesn't seem to be any real um, effort to, to kind of like accelerate efforts in terms of um, investigating what's going on and finding the origin as well, where these things are from, which they can't do. Um, uh, and it, it just seems like foot dragging um, at a time where, you know, as UAPTF report did say that UAP does um, risk national security. Um, it's just very, very concerning. And I think they're like flabbergasted by what's happening really. Um, uh, and I think they just want to take control now. The Congress do say that enough of this. We gave you a chance. We're going to come up with a name. You know, we're not going to give you non clementure We're gonna we're gonna call it what we want to call. We're gonna we're gonna you know have this call group that we're gonna set up, and you do what we tell you to do. And I think that's what they want now. And look, if it, just like let's say for a moment that um, we knew what they were. Let's say they were Chinese Russian um, craft, and it's accelerating rapidly in terms of the amount of times they're being seen, let's say train ranging ranges, war zones, places like that, and they're Chinese and Russian. And let's say that, you know, you set up a, a new office to deal with this. And, you know, that'd be really, really serious. You know, you're, you're thinking about headlines and stuff like that. And to think that, you know, a group within DOD is just dragging their feet. So, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it later. You know, it's like, look, this is a serious situation on the ground here these things are being experienced by military personnel every day every day and uh, and there's a lot of concern about it there's a lot of concern um it, it really is flabbergasting and, and like brian bender um reported um as well before the hearings as well you know the origin is such a big thing like it's all they're seeing at the moment congressman understanding is reports oh yeah another uap scene look like this did this oh another uap scene and, and that's all they're seeing at the moment in terms of the briefings and stuff like that they want to know where it actually comes from as we saw from the 2019 july um events in uh, off the west coast i mean yeah cool call it a drone call it whatever you want you know at the end of the day you cannot positively identify it as a drone unless you know where it came from and you know who who the operators are you could not positively identify it if that happens. And that was what the sources were saying in that story, who were actually there at the scene. 
and were the ones classifying the strange using the language that they knew how to use at the same time. But actually, looking back at that in hindsight, I think a lot of people who were actually involved with that couldn't look back and say, look, it was definitely a drone. They didn't know where it came from. And that's really, really serious, very serious, especially if these things are harassing um, naval warships. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, I think we've sort of moved on a little bit from, you know, whether or not there's anything funny going on to now trying to ask a serious question about what's the origin of these things and, and you know, how can we better understand that side of things. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty clear at this point that the uh, the AOIMSG have been horrendously, you know, dragging the feet and, you know, this uh, Arrow office is basically just, a, seems to me anyway, like a bit of a continuation of that and patience is, is running very thin. Um, I've just actually pulled out the quote uh, from the explanatory report um, as well which is the, the full quote that you're referring to is, uh, quote, at a time when cross-domain transmedium threats to United States national security are expanding exponentially, the committee is disappointed with the slow pace of DOD-led efforts to establish the office to address those threats and to replace the former unidentified aerial phenomena task force as required in section 1683 of the NDAA for 2022 unquote so we really are seeing a, a a complete you know frustration with the slow progress aren't we and and it seems like the um the the even the the arrow the expansion to arrow is probably not going to do enough to actually address that and and the frustrations are, are going to continue and the name's going to be changed and whatnot so yeah i mean i know your article the other day chris uh, which if anybody has, has not checked that out should definitely go and have a look on Liberation Times and, and, and read the full article. Um, but how do you think it's, uh, it is going to progress then? Do you think we're going to see uh, a name change again from Arrow? Do you think that's going to get formalised? And, and what do you think we're actually going to see from this, whatever the office ends up being called as we move along? I think at the moment it's, um, it's in the balance. I think, you know, as you saw the other day on Twitter, Kirsten Gillibrand, the senator who serves on... Um, both the armed services and intelligence committees in Senate was speaking to Moultrie, was taking a public lead in this, and also um, the new director as well, Kirkpatrick. Um, I think there are discussions going on at the moment in terms of what's going to happen and stuff, and I think it's in the balance. But I think if Congress really does want to show who's boss here, they'll say, look, this is, this is what we're going to call it. You go along with what we're going to do. You had your chance. Now it's us calling the shots. You know we're your bosses. You know we're we're democratically elected to do to do our jobs, and um, we're going to make sure that you know um, we do get to the bottom of this threat, um, potential threat. Um, so I think that's what's going to happen. It, it might, it, yeah. It, it's going to be, yeah. It's good. It, it's in the balance at the moment in terms of that. But I think that Congress is going to try its best to have its way. I can't speak in de definitives, but I think they're going to do their best to have its way. Um, but I think in terms of um, Pandora's box, I think something's already got out of Pandora's box. Um, and I think what we can see is perhaps next year, hopefully that we can start seeing hearings with brave souls that are happy to go public, um, speaking about illegal programs um, that have occurred and um, it's going to be huge. Look at Rubio's comments on um, on Twitter recently. He was saying something along the lines that this is the most meaningful ever intelligence authorization act ever. 
and he <laughs> he knows why he's saying that. I mean, it's huge what's going to happen from my understanding. I think there are very, very high hopes. Mm. Uh, just if I can, just to come back, it's unprecedented, that sort of public dressing down from uh, intelligence committees towards the military who are venerated in America, you know. Uh, you know, and I can understand why, but, you know, the, that was absolutely unprecedented. And if you remember, one thing I forgot uh, was that I thought that the IAIOMSG, whatever it was, I'm starting to forget that acronym now, good, uh, were actually trying to actively walk it back as well. We were seeing evidence of that I thought on social media, in some comments, all this drone talk and all, all the rest of it. So I think uh, that added to the, the infuriation in that there they was obviously they were trying to walk it back. And we got that amazing uh, thing that uh, in Chris's article again, which you referred to earlier, Chris, of not man-made. So they're not interested in anything that's man-made. And that, I think that was a bit of a, if they hadn't gone on about the drones, they might not have said that. But the clear implication of that thing that's reported, we're not, if it's man-made, we'll send it somewhere else. We'll, there must be a massive weight of evidence that suggests that there's something that is either not man-made or not known civilization made anyway. But but we don't know what it is. And that to me is the closest we have come in all of this to an admission that it's actually another source that we're not aware of. I mean it was absolute I read that in Chris's article. I'd seen it, I read the thing, but when I read it in Chris's article in context, it really hit me that how significant that 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 statement is. And so again, I think that that, that's been a massive change we've seen with this explanatory note and to try and counter this walking back. Uh, so I thought that was very, very significant and a direct consequence, again, of the foot dragging. Uh, one other thing, of course, is I thought until recently, until that article, the explanatory article, I thought, well, maybe they just see more of them. There isn't a rise. It's just that more of them are being reported because they're more popular now and people are feeling emboldened to report them. But it's there in black and white. There's clearly a real rise and I, I suppose the next question for another day is what's prompting that rise and it comes back to what Chris was saying if you know half an hour ago or whatever uh, uh, about uh, what's the reaction and what's the threat level and all that it's very very serious indeed so yeah I, that was massive that not man-made in my view yeah, definitely. And it seems a bit of a, um, I think uh, Bray at the hearing was trying to kind of make out that actually the increase in reports, I think they said they've got like 400 reports, they've come in thick and fast, you know, it is actually just a lot of historic reports and things like that. But that that, that you were just talking about there, Dave, seems to suggest that actually the frequency is increasing, that the actual the occurrence of these things actually being cited right now you know it is actually indeed increasing which is fascinating to think about but just to finish off on as well one quick point um as we're talking about this arrow office and what it's eventually going to happen to it and whatnot um the the director um of that office was recently named as being um uh, dr sean kirkpatrick a highly credentialed individual i think it's uh, safe to say whatever you think of him definitely got a, a strong kind of track record and um a lot of people have been quite happy about this announcement as a uh, 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 Kirkpatrick being the director however as I know you've uh, mentioned Dave when, when Lou Elizondo was asked about Kirkpatrick's appointment of the director back when it was the AOIMSG um, he, he seemed a bit unsure about that to say to say the least really I mean he was asked is he a good hand 
on the uh, Need to Know podcast with Ross Coltart and Bryce Sable. And Lou kind of grimaced and sort of had a think about it for a few seconds and responded with, quote, let's give everyone a fair shake. How about that? Unquote. Hardly a, a strong vote of confidence there. So there may be some some questions around, you know, how he's going to lead that effort. So obviously, shout out to you, Dave, for remembering that and bringing it to my attention. Um and what do you guys think about the appointment of Kirkpatrick? Do you think we've got reason to be hopeful or it lose comments, perhaps shine a little bit of a, a doubtful light on that? What do you reckon, Dave? Well, yeah, I mean, I was lucky. I just remembered it was something in the back of my mind. And anyway, and luckily I remembered it after I asked Twitter and nobody could remember. We all were trying to remember on Twitter and that, anyway, come to me. Uh, yeah, I, I personally think, but the thing Lou said afterwards, I think you might have mentioned this on your show, he then went on to directly talk about people who believe it's all natural objects and debris and all the rest of it. So that, to me, implied that this is where this Kirkpatrick may be coming from. The other thing I suspect, if they would have chosen him, he's, he's either one of the in the knows who's part of that, who, who knows the score and they put him in to run that, which is a little conspiratorial, or he's somebody who doesn't believe it. And again, the British Civil Service's way, if they wanted something to go a certain way, they pick somebody who thinks the way they do and they put them in the job. And so without any influence, they just come to the conclusion that you want. And I think there's a bit of that going on. So watching Lou's reaction, I thought, uh, I'm not as convinced as many other people have been. I know he's got the credentials, but it's what he's going to do. But I don't think, again, he'll have much wiggle room because he's been told he's got to perform. They've got all these reports going back and he's got some somebody over his shoulder from the intelligence community watching what he's up to. So I, I think I'm not very enthusiastic about his appointment, but I think he might have to do his job, unfortunately. Mm. Anything to add on that then, Chris? Absolutely agree with, um, with Dave. And I think, you know, if you work in um, these kind of organisations, you've had experience with them, then you have an understanding of how, how they work in terms of the appointments and stuff like that. I mean, um, you could have argued back, you know, in the days of Blue Book, that, oh, look, we've got this guy called a Heineken in charge, you know, brilliant credentials, well-suited to the job, brilliant guy, but, look, we don't know what conversations are happening behind the scenes, what their real job is. Um, I think in terms of um, Kirkpatrick, I think it's just an unknown, really. Um, people might not be familiar with him. They don't know what his stance on the topic is. And most importantly as well, they don't know if he's going to fight for it because, look, I think it's been made clear like before that, you know, um, that others involved in um, the UAPTF and you know, go back to ATIP as well, you have to fight. You really have to fight to get the information. You're going up against the Air Force and other players that may not want to cooperate with you. Um, so you really need to kind of like firstly just go in with it with the proper expertise and have the credentials, but also you've got to fight for it as well. You've got to fight for the information, you've got to fight for your cause. Um, and um, I just don't know if he's going to do that or not. Let's give him a chance, yes. But at the end of the day, I don't know. Uh, um, we just, he, he seems like an unknown quantity on this stuff. Um, but look, at the end of the day, Congress is not putting its, all its eggs in one basket. Uh, which I think is really, really important. Um, it's kind of like really, really um, being proactive on this in terms of the measures it's taking, like such as the core group, for instance. Um, and then also we've got the fact that, 
you know that they're they're going for the the real good is you know um the secretive and perhaps illegal programs and that'd be a shortcut you know it's going straight through all this stuff getting through the bs basically and getting to the core questions and getting those answers so yeah um i'm really excited i'm very very bullish about how this is going to play out um not so much for in, in terms of um arrow but in terms of the other stuff that might be happening at the same time and i think yeah i think yeah i'm, I'm very very excited yeah yeah good good points i think it's it's like you say the example of heinick is a good one like doesn't really matter how credentialed somebody is a lot of the times they, they'll put somebody in a specific role with a certain outcome kind of in mind but as as we've kind of all said uh, throughout the course of this conversation you know the wiggle room is actually getting less and less. So actually, regardless of who's in charge, they're kind of having to comply, you know, with uh, with the requirements of, of what Congress actually, you know, wants to find out. So, yeah, even no matter who it is, they're going to have less wiggle room and they're going to have to cooperate. So definitely reasons to be optimistic going forward. And it's going to be an interesting next year or so, isn't it, to see how it all plays out. So I think we'll leave it there. I could talk to you guys for hours really but we've we've just gone over the hour mark there so i think uh, I, I can hear your your little one in the background getting a bit restless there chris so I think he's, we, he's I, two rooms away he's two rooms away and like oh, he's, yeah. oh my he's gosh. a good lad <laughs> i feel sorry for the neighbors uh, yeah. I, I think we should just remark frank as you have many times on how brilliant chris's work has been over the last two years but particularly the last six months and the last two weeks, absolutely fantastic, mate. And I, I've got so much respect for what you've done and for how you've pushed it forward. So you should give yourself a pat on the back if nobody else does, mate. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I'm very proud to know you, mate. Oh, thank, thank you so much. You know, your, your support has been so tremendous. You know, like, you know, both of you just like, I, I couldn't have done it without you. You know, I come under a lot of attacks of these articles. There's a lot of um, unhealthy, um, unwell people um, in this community who will attack you or go after your family and they'll really try to make life miserable for you. So the, the help and support you guys have given is really, really helped me a lot, you know, because not everyone, not everyone, you know, whether it's an ego thing or if it's just the fact they didn't want the information out or they're unwell not everyone is kind of like game for these articles that push the, the ball forward so thank you for you for you guys just you know for um your support it really does mean a lot to me because it's difficult sometimes yeah yeah well yeah keep keep it going you know obviously you know i've i've you know, bigged you up in the past and continue to do so on a regular basis and end of the day your actual work your track record speaks for itself you know so absolutely keep up the good work right we'll leave it there chaps thank you yeah, both for Chris, joining Chris, absolute Chris, pleasure I really thank enjoyed you it, so much for having us on have a great weekend you are podcast <laughs>